Driver off the first, you hit it OB. So it's back to the box, hitting three off the tee. Skull wedge to the front of the green, then three putt. I think it's time for a drink, grab a beer, and some friends. We'll go till we reach the 19th hole at the end. Keep it rolling till the sun goes down. Support for the Friars Golf Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code T-F-G-P-M-A-N. That's T-F-G-P-M-A-N at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. Everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Friars Golf Podcast. Uh, Scott Alfin here with my co-host, Matt Lawless. What's happening, buddy? Nothing much. Uh, just, just living the dream here on a Monday. Uh, look forward to some golf this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to hopefully getting out on the links myself this weekend. I, I heard or I saw on on Instagram you were up at Ballyhack last week. Tell, tell me a little bit about that and, and how fun. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was the first time there. I originally from from Southwest Virginia down that way. So it, it's one I've been looking forward to, to getting out to. I uh, went with a fellow Friar who's here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He asked me last minute if I, if I could swing a golf trip and my wife had already kind of given me the heads up that her braves had a double header that weekend she'd be glued to the tv so uh, that was that was easy decision to make and ended up running into i know you'll love this as a as a hokey uh ended up running into kyle long out there Uh, it's hard to hard to miss a guy like that i'm sure jay probably gets that experience on the on the golf course as well but um Kyle Long and, and a couple of other, other of his friends were were in the group behind us, and it was fun watching watching those hit a, those guys hit a golf ball uh, the the size of those guys. But yeah, it was a phenomenal course. Uh, can't can't wait to get back. Yeah, I lo- love Ballyhack. That's one of my that's one of my favorites uh, in this in this whole region. It's just such a pretty pretty piece of property. Um, but yeah, so let's just jump right into it, Matt. We've got a fantastic guest today. Uh, and everybody's going to be thrilled to listen listen to what he has to say, and we're thrilled to have him as a guest. But uh, let's welcome Mr. Jay Billis uh, to the show. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we're we're thrilled to to pick your brain and hear some stories and and uh, maybe have some laughs. And 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 Matt threw out the the Virginia Tech hokey thing early, so don't hold that against me being being a Duke guy. Okay. No, I would never hold that against you. I have to deal with Seth Greenberg all the time, so I'm uh, I'm hokeyed up. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And I uh, love Mike Young, by the way. Mike Young is such a fantastic uh, coach and just thrilled to see what he can do at, uh, in Blacksburg. Well, he's a great guy, too, in addition to being a fabulous, you know, offensive mind and a, and a great coach. Just a great, great guy. Yep, yep. So let's, you know, I'm sure we'll get into basketball at some point here, but let's you know, we, we focus on golf. Uh, the Friars Golf Club is a 
is basically a golf society, Jay, of, of uh, a thousand members from across the globe that basically travel and play fun courses. And uh, just, you know, everybody has one common interest and that's golf. It doesn't matter where you're from, what do you, whatever you do, you just love golf. So uh, I know, and Matt knows that you love golf. Tell us a little bit about your, your start in the golf, what made you love it and, and a little bit about that. Well, it's funny, guys. When I when I was younger, my dad uh, joined a club in Southern California called Rolling Hills Country Club, and and I think he did it so he could play, and so my brother could play. I have an older brother who's a, a great stick and has been a scratcher better since he was eleven or twelve years old. And when I first, uh, my dad first started taking me to the club, uh, honestly, I didn't like it. Uh, it just seemed like every time I turned around, somebody was telling me what to do and don't walk here, don't say this, you know, you keep quiet and uh you know i used to have to pick the the range before i could play and i just didn't care for it and i thought nobody tells me what to do when i'm playing basketball on the playground or when i'm on a baseball field you know you can be as loud as you want it didn't matter so i didn't really take to golf and didn't play at all and i really didn't get into it until i was in my mid to late 20s and my friends started playing and uh and you know i started playing with them we'd gamble a little bit have a good time have a couple of uh, beers and and i really enjoyed it and as i got older and got out in the working world you know golf was sort of our escape from everything else that we did and now i mean i play all the time now i can't get enough of it i i sort of uh, regret not taking it more seriously when i was younger god forbid i'd be be better but um, you know, I was joking with my wife the other day. I don't know if I'd have any friends if I didn't play golf now. That's all my friends and I do. That's all we talk about. That's all we care about is, is golf. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny when I was, uh, when I was active as a basketball player, um, you know, when I was playing pro ball overseas or, you know, when I first started as a lawyer, I'd play at lunch and I'd play with all these guys that, that frankly, they suck <laughs> and, but they were there every day and they just loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. And there was a part of me that was going, God, I can't believe you guys like this when you're so bad at it. And then I started playing golf and I understood, I understood. (laughs) Then I got it that, uh, that, you know, in order to love something, you don't have to be good at it. Um, uh, It really kind of opened my eyes that, uh, that all different levels can play and love it. And it doesn't matter how you play as long as you play fast and you're a good guy about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the fantastic things about the Friars is, is, it doesn't matter your handicap, your age, your sex, you know, whatever. You just love golf and, and, and they play all over the world. What, what, what are some of your favorite golf courses that you've had a chance to, you know, you've probably been very fortunate to play some good places, but what, what are some of your top, you know, maybe Jay's top 10 that you've been able to play? Yeah, I've been really lucky because of some of the friends I have that I've played some places that shouldn't allow me on the property, uh, <laughs> Frankly, um, my favorite all time, you know, my number one golf course that I, I would crawl on my knees to play any, you know, over concrete and broken glass is Pine Valley uh, Golf Club up in New Jersey. Um, Augusta National, uh, Cypress, uh, Chicago Golf Club, uh, National Golf Links, uh, Shinnecock, um, Oakmont, uh, Marion, and then Country Club where I grew up. Uh, even though I, I didn't grow up on it, like I didn't even know it existed until I was in my 40s. Um, I'd driven past LA Country Club like 500 times, literally, and didn't even know it was there. And the first time I went through the property when I was in my 40s, 
you know, it's like Central Park in there. And I was like, how did you keep this hidden from the rest of, of the world? It's so, so fantastic. Right. Um, but there's so many great places. And the, the, the best place I've played lately that's sort of new for me, there are two of them. One is a Hoopy Match Club in Georgia, and the other is, uh, is Friar's Head in New York. Um, I was blown away by both those places. Yeah, you you can't you can't go wrong with either one of those, and I, I think uh, I think anyone most golf nuts that have, that have seen the logo would probably be willing to send, spend a couple months paychecks worth of uh, uh, pro shop merch on the Ohopi stuff. I mean, just 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 really cool place, uh, really unique. I mean, kind of I I kind of hope the trend with like the match play clubs kind of catches on. I mean, it's uh, uh, I know that it seems like that's more common playing style overseas in the UK and. Um, I know the, I, last I heard, I hope he doesn't even have scorecards, right? Well, they certainly, they might have scorecards. I don't remember that, but, but nobody cares what you shoot. You know, yeah. they only care if you win your match and, um, and look, Oh, Hoopy does everything right. It, it may not be, you know, the most traditional place. Um, you know, you don't have to put a jacket on to go to dinner or anything like that. It's just got a great vibe to it. And it's, it's casual. Um, nobody takes themselves too seriously. It's just a, the food is off the charts. Good. Uh, the accommodations are great. It's just a, it's nothing but fun. And, uh, and you know, this is supposed to be fun. And I, you know, I heard something, I don't know if you guys, if this would resonate with you, like it did with me, but I heard something during the open this year when an RNA member was talking about tradition and the gentleman said, tradition is only useful if it's relevant to the present. And I thought that 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 means a lot that 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 really hit me that, you know, just because it's been done a certain way forever, doesn't mean it's relevant to today. And yeah. there's room for places that that are staunchly traditional. I, I have no problem with that. In fact, most of the time, love it. Um, but there's also room for uh, something that's that's fun and casual and uh, and sort of celebrates that this is supposed to be fun. You know, it, it, it's uh, this game is. I think it's, you know, look, I game ever invented, but golf is a close second. And uh, I've never played anything like golf that's this difficult and yet this fun um, and uh, and incorporates so many uh, values that are important. And, uh, you know, I, I just I wish I had somebody had made me play when I was a kid because uh, I think I would have benefited in every area of life as a result of playing golf earlier. It, uh, you, that the quote you had was, was really interesting. I, I'd be curious to hear your, your take on it. I mean, you, you mentioned Pine Valley is, is kind of your, your Mecca of the game. And from all accounts that I've heard, I mean, they're all secondhand is it seems like um, Pine Valley really kind of embodies that, I guess, aura or vibe that you're, you kind of describe is that um, here they are. I mean, you look at every single golf list, for the last few decades and it's it's always one and two is always augusta and then there's pine valley and, and you hear so many firsthand accounts of, of people going to augusta and it's uh, other 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 world experience but it seems like people are, are kind of walking on eggshells and the story i've always heard with with pine valley is kind of the opposite is, is they really encourage members to bring guests in and make them feel welcome and, and feel like they kind of belong to the club at least for a day uh, and, and don't seem to take themselves as seriously especially when you consider um kind of the prestige that, that comes with the club itself. Is, is that kind of been the, the, the feeling you've got when you've been there before? That, that's my experience with it is I've never spent an uncomfortable moment there. Um, and even to the point where, you know, look, it's a very difficult golf course, but 
you know, when you make a mistake, um, uh, like on 18, if you happen to pull your second shot and you hit it into the parking lot, you're, you're horribly embarrassed, but they expect you to play it out of there. You know, it's not the first time it's happened, but you know, if you go, you know, kind of sheepishly pick it up, they kind of make fun of you like, no, play it. They'll move cars for you. So you can play the play it, the shot. And there's a story there about a great golfer who's also a great guy named Carlton Forrester, who in the, uh, in the, the crump cup on number four, hit his second shot right where the, the pro shop is in the clubhouse. And it, it got stuck on top on the roof above the, the pro shop door. And there's nothing out of bounds there. So they told him, you can play that. And he went into the clubhouse, climbed up the stairs and went out a window and hit a wedge onto the green and made par from the top of the, the clubhouse. And it's, it's those kind of things that, and the times I've been there, you know, when guys are sitting around, people are sitting around talking after they play, nobody's talking about, oh, I made birdie on 12 or I did this. They're talking about the, the horrifying results they had and everybody has a good time because everybody's been there. And uh, uh, I, I just think that's the, the fun of it and I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, that's that's um, that's one of our, our most uh, I guess one of our golden rule, rules in the Friars, Matt, right, is you, you have to have fun. Yeah. Um, and, and no assholes. So have fun and no assholes allowed. Um, quick, quick question, Jay. This is kind of a to transition to a whole different topic, but I've followed you on Twitter for some time and I think it's such a fantastic follow. Um, every every day, if I'm not mistaken, you post something about I got to go to work. Right. What? Yes. What got you starting to do that? And how how creative? Well, I guess how much in advance do you need to plan those out? Are those off the cuff? Like, do you have like a book of all these quotes that you're putting together? Because it it's really fun. It almost sounds kind of gangster. So I kind I kind of dig it. Yeah, it, 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 I wish I had a better answer for this, but, um, I, you know, I listen to all kinds of music and rap and hip hop is, is certainly something I've listened to since, you know, you know, I was in high school when I started listening to the Sugar Hill Gang in the late 70s, early 80s. But when uh, we when I, the college game day group was in, uh, we were at Michigan State probably in 2010, 2011, something like that. And Draymond Green was listening to headphones when he was warming up. And on the air, we asked him what he was listening to. And he said it was a, a rap artist called Young Jeezy. And, and one of my colleagues asked me if that was on my playlist or my, he probably said my iPod at the time. It was so long ago. And I said, actually, it is. And, and there were some, some fans of ours or, or viewers that didn't believe me. So it became kind of a back and forth on Twitter. And I put out some Jeezy lyrics here and there. And if I remember right, it's been a long time. And, you know, this thing becomes. But um, I, 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 I had to go into my office, so I couldn't go back and forth anymore. So I wrote, I got to go to work on there. And it just sort of caught on. Yeah. And so now every morning I put out a Jeezy lyric with, I got to go to work. And, uh, and sometimes I do schedule them if I'm on the road or especially if I'm in a different time zone and I'd have to wake up at three in the morning to put that thing out. I usually get up pretty early. Uh, so I schedule some of them now, some of them I do as soon as I wake up, it just depends on the day. And because I'm not always sure about the lyrics, like you listen to it and uh, cause I listen to a lot of Jeezy and some other stuff, but I'm not always sure I have the lyrics right when I hear them. Um, I make sure I, I look it up and I've got everything, everything right. And sometimes I'll, I'll edit things a little bit to make sure that they're, 
um, you know, they're uh, sufficient for uh, for publication and, and hopefully don't make any mistakes there. But if I do make a mistake, it's unintentional. Um, and, and it's been a fun thing, you know, and, and I've uh, through it. I've met Jeezy. He's been he's been great to me. And he's actually called me a couple of times saying, hey, you want to uh, I got a new album coming out. Would you mind dropping it on your social media? I'm like, OK, that'd be cool. Uh, so you got this 51 year old, you know, or 58 year old now, like total square from Rolling Hills, California, putting out uh, putting out the snowman stuff. It's kind of neat. Yeah. You are the target demographic there. That's that's for sure. That's yeah. I'm Scott. I'm Scott. I'm surprised you didn't recognize that. It's I, it might be one of those things. Scott's I, a little older than I am. Um, they, they always talk about like whatever you listen to in high school is kind of where your musical tastes stop. And and Jeezy was that was when he was huge. Was when I was in high school. So um, that yeah, you've you've been one of my favorite falls from that from that. And you always there'll be there'll be one usually about once a month. You'll trigger you'll trigger something in my mind like oh I got to listen to this on the way to the gym or something like that. But uh, that's that's a great backstory. I didn't, I didn't know that there was the the friend, friendly uh, relationship with Mr. Jeezy. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Hey Jay, I, I've got to ask this question because it, it's always been on my mind, and you know I, I always appreciate how you push back on the NCAA. I think that's just fantastic how how you don't hold back. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, if you don't mind, based you know briefly on NIL? And where this is headed, are we are we looking at bringing in college agents in the near future to start representing these people? They're already in it, so agents oh, are. are already in it. Yeah, uh, players have agents now that handle their business, and um, and I think we're headed toward players at some point in the near future being signed to contracts where they're paid directly by the school because it's cleaner and easier, and the school actually has more control if they've got a player under contract. And just like they would with a uh, uh, with a coach or administrator, or whatever it is, um, you know, they, the coach can't go out and do whatever endorsement he or she likes because they're under contract and they've negotiated that with the school. Um, so it's really pretty simple. And it's funny, you know, you hear a lot of pushback from people who don't want it by saying, well, if you're going to if you hire players and pay players, then you should be able to fire them. You can fire them now. The players are fired all the time. I mean, players are run off, they're let go, they're kicked off the team. That happens all the time. And then you hear this other nonsense about, well, you know, if you pay them, then you should be able to trade them. Well, that makes no sense. Makes nobody's sense. trading coaches. Nobody's trading athletic directors. Um, that's a that's a, something, you know, the, the ability to trade an asset is something that's collectively bargained in uh, in pro leagues. And you also hear people saying, well, you know, uh, the NBA has a salary cap. The NFL has a salary cap. Yeah, that's true. But they also collectively bargain with the players union and the players get half of revenue. So if, if college sports wants to do that, I think the players would be all for it to get half the revenues and be able to divvy it, divvy it up the way they want and have a salary cap because you'd also have salary minimums. Right now, players in college are incredibly cheap relative to the enterprise. And for me, it's always been something of, of look, if this is going to be a multi-billion dollar industry, and it is, I think the players deserve to compete for compensation. It doesn't mean that schools have to pay. If they don't want to pay, don't pay. But the problem has been the collective, the, all the schools collectively have agreed not to pay. And they've done it in violation of federal antitrust law. Like, could you imagine in any other industry, if, if they say, if, if in my field and, uh, in law, because I'm a lawyer, if uh, if all the law firms in in any state 
got together and said, all right, let's all agree that we're not going to pay more than $75,000 to incoming lawyers. They'd be sued the next day under antitrust and lose. Uh, and, but that's what the NCAA has been doing. And um, look, I, I, people can differ with this and I'm fine with it, but I believe people have the right to be compensated for what they do. And if, if a 18 year old or 17 year old kid has a lawn mowing business, he shouldn't, he or she shouldn't have to mow lawns for free for the love of landscaping. And we've made it seem like college players should play for the love of the game just cause we say so. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's right. And I don't think it compromises the game or competition. If anybody loves it so much, they want to forego pay. They are perfectly free to, to not accept compensation. But if you want it, you should be allowed to accept it. And that's always the way I viewed it. And I think that's the way, way we're headed. And with, heck, the Big Ten is just signing a, I think it's an $8 billion deal. It's going to pay them well over a billion dollars a year for their media rights, just for their, their inventory. And uh, uh, I mean, that's a lot of money and it's paying the coaches and administrators a lot of money. Uh, it, it boggles the mind why people think the players deserve zero. I, I've never understood that. So, so in your, in your opinion, are we, are we looking at heading in a direction where maybe the power five come together and create, create a new NCAA at some point, like a new, that could, yeah, that could certainly happen uh, because they're the primary revenue drivers um, in college sports. And as, as they look at it, my, my sense is at some point they're going to say, wait, wait a minute, why are we, you know, why are we propping up all these other schools that aren't really helping? Uh, they're not really helping drive revenue or all these other things. And yet they're, they're, they're taking a vote to tell us what we can and cannot do. And that, that's likely that that's going to happen. Um, you know, there's going to, there's going to be a time where when things change, we're going to lament that it's different, but it's different than it used to be 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Uh, it's different than it was 30 years ago. Things have changed, but, but oddly enough, when it changes on the revenue side uh, for the schools, nobody seems to care. But now that it's changed for the athlete, uh, a lot of people have a problem with it, and I don't understand it. Um, it, it. It's odd to me that in America we would look at somebody and say, well, you don't deserve to be paid. Um, I don't get that. But, but look, reasonable minds can differ, and each school can do it the way they want to. But, but it needs to be an individual university decision as to, to whether they pay and how much uh, versus whether they're allowed to pay at all. Uh, that, that, that's where I think the line should be drawn. Everybody should be allowed to do what they want to do uh, within, you know, within the bounds of the law and without the, the collective saying, nope, can't do that. Um, reasonable regulation is one thing, but a prohibition on, on athlete compensation is, uh, to me, a bizarre thing. Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things I, I I went to Marshall University and was was really good friends with with guys and and girls from from every every one of the major sports teams and um, at a small school like that, uh, the, the the boosters were helping out kids underneath the table. I mean, that's that's no secret to to any school, and it's just like that was kind of a light bulb clicking moment. I was like, man, if if the backup walk on center at Marshall University is is getting a little handout. I was like, everyone, everyone is. I mean, this, this is one of those things that's, it's, it, people seem to be in shock and all of the numbers and stuff that are floating around, but it's like, this, this stuff isn't new. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, if you ever experienced that in your time of, of being recruited in the seventies the and eighties, um, 
if that was a thing or if you is that kind of a newer phenomenon i know we we know at least of a couple of uh i guess espn 30 for 30s on on smu and was that the late 80s i guess they got they got hit but um everyone kind of acts like this is a a new uh new phenomenon and players are just spoiled it's just like you know, this has just been brought to light and um not not being done in the shady ways that it it previously seemed to have been done no, the, it, it, what you're pointing out has been going on forever. It's been going on since college sports started uh, uh, over 100 years ago. And, and it's going on now, but now it, it's um, more above board. I mean, there, there was a black market economy that, that went on. You can't have this kind of money flowing through the system and expect that, that players aren't going to be compensated in some way. And you can look in any sport, uh, you know, and golf is an example. Look, I, I still think that golf is is truly the only amateur sport in America. Um, but but I look at it a little bit differently. Like a, a golfer, say say you're you're a, an amateur golfer, uh, you know, above the age of twenty five, and you're playing in the you want to play in the mid amp. Um, you decide how many events you play in. You decide whether you're going to practice. And you know, if the mid amp's coming up, and you say, you know, this year I'm going to play. Or one year, hey, I've got a wedding to go to. I'm not going to play. I mean, do, do you think I got to determine when I practiced and played when I was in college? I had no say over that. I couldn't say, hey, hey, Coach K, you know, I don't really feel like going to Clemson this weekend. You're going, and uh, because your livelihood rides on it, and and it was a professional sport, um, you know. But but when when a college golfer is uh, is performing like. You know, I'm I'm very fortunate. I've got I've got a, a friend at a, uh, a club manufacturer. He he invited me out to uh, to one of these facilities to test out some new clubs and get new equipment. And I was tripping over college golfers there that that were that were carrying out all kinds of you know merchandise and stuff like that. Where and look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but there's no way that that comported with NCAA rules at that time. And if a basketball player had done that, they would have been called on the carpet. And you can't tell me that there aren't a bunch of college golfers that are high level that haven't met some of their high-end boosters that didn't take them on a golf trip, that if, if a basketball player or football player had done that, it would have caused headlines. Nobody, nobody cares about that other stuff. Um, so my thing is, look, let's take, the, let's take the cuffs off these, guys, these players, athletes, and let them, let them live normal lives just like everyone else. You know, if nobody cares whether the a booster takes the basketball coach on a golf trip, why would you care if he took a golfer or a basketball player? You know, stuff like that. We shouldn't care about this stuff. It's just normal human behavior, and uh, and we need to decriminalize all of it. And at least right now, it seems like it is. Yep, I I, I totally agree there. And it's just, uh, and then you, you, golf has always been the one. Whenever the NIL stuff came out, I was very interested to see how uh, kind of the USGA and some of the governing bodies would handle that because, um, and how NIL conforms with with maintaining amateur status. And it seems like the NIL NIL stuff, to, to what I've seen so far, is um, some of the, you've seen a lot of the even the, the female golfers. I know most of the the, the Stanford's women's team have have, have, have signed some form of NIL deal um, in their multiple national championships recently. But um, it seems like as long as you're not taking uh, winnings from a professional event, that you're still able to maintain that, that status, which is, which is awesome. I was kind of concerned when it first came out that um, the USGA would take a kind of a hard line stance. If you do NIL, then you lose amateur status and, and, and all that stuff. But uh, it seems like they've, they common sense has somewhat prevailed at this point. 
Yeah, and and you could look. I, I've actually had some pushback on some of the amateur stuff in uh, in golf. Um, you know, I was I was an advocate of allowing uh, amateur golfers to be able to accept certain things and and accept cash and all that stuff um, to a certain level. And, and look, they can make whatever rules they want. But I I, I got some pushback from from some club pros that were saying, "Hey, wait a minute." You know, if if an amateur is allowed to accept, uh, like, say, say, uh, you know, I, you and I win our member member and instead of shop credit, we can take cash and, and, it, and it's it's OK by the rules. Well, the, the head pro is going to shoot back and say, wait a minute, that's part of our livelihood. That shop credit flows through our shop and we make money off that. And that's not an issue over playing for love of the game. That's an issue over who gets the money. Yeah. And, and, you know, so then the, the, the pro is saying, that's my money. That's not the golfer's money. That's my money. And uh, you know, that, that's the argument uh, at least in that realm. And I, look, I get it. I mean, there's been a system set up here and people don't want to see a change, but uh, you know, there are reasonable things we can do um, you know, to, to deal with it. And look, you guys know as well as I do, there are a lot of amateur golfers that are professional amateurs out there. And, and that's fine. I, I have zero problem with all of it. The problem I have with it is we assign love of the game and couple it with money when that has nothing to do with it. Um, you can have people who play for free and don't love the game as much as somebody who plays for money. Love and money are not mutually exclusive. And, and look, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing for money. And, uh, and if somebody makes a hole in one and wins a car, I don't care. Others might care. I don't care. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that should jeopardize their amateur status. Now you declare for the PGA tour or you play, uh, on the senior tour or whatever. And then, and then somebody doesn't want you in their member guest. Okay. That's fine. Uh, each club can do it the way they want. And, uh, you know, USGA, the RNA, whatever, they can do whatever they want. But, but I agree with you. I think the, the reasonable sort of common sense approach, uh, they've taken at least to this point. Yeah, I think I think either way you're going to get hit by the tax man. Whether you you know if you win the car or you get the cash or or a check, they're gonna they're gonna hit you up at the end of the year for for some money. Um, I, I it, it's funny you guys are bringing this up, but I'm not sure if you watched the final of the USAM yesterday. Um, I did. I thought it was awesome. That was I, I loved every second of it. Yeah, that was fantastic. And that that kid that won, Sam Bennett, uh, number three in the world, is is a is just a hell of a player. But I was having this conversation with my buddy at the time. He had a hat on that said Suncast on it, and we 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 it came up in our conversation. Like, what is that? So he Googled the company, and it's it's a company that manufactures these commercial storage sheds. So. This kid's playing in the final of the U.S. Amateur, and he's already branding a, a hat from a company that's probably ready to sign him today when he turns pro. It's there's a fire yeah, I saw there. that. Yeah, yeah, I saw he might that. just be a and big I, fan I, of I the storage shed. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that could be, and maybe he's getting free storage for all his trophies. Yeah, right. um, but 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 you know, I saw it. It looked like both of them were wearing stuff that that was branded and. And, you know, look, if they're wearing uh, or have on their bag, the club manufacturer, all that stuff or whatever shoes they wear, I, I noticed that uh, that Bennett was wearing Johnny O stuff. 
um, to me, it didn't detract from anything. No, and you know, I don't. I don't have any problem with it. And I'm sure there are some things that someone could point out and say, "Yeah, but you'd rather have it this way or that way." Uh, that's fine. All I saw were two young people uh, who were still in college wearing short pants, playing their tails off and competing for a trophy that was really compelling. And when on that par five, I can't remember the whole number because they played 36, when both of them blew it out of bounds left. Oh, um, yeah, I felt so bad for Ben Carr after that. Um, you know, if he just hit wedge wedge, he, pr- he probably would have been in a playoff. But but it was awesome. And the thing that I loved about it more than anything was afterwards, uh, I think Ben Carr was first and said, you know, the guy just lost a, a lifelong dream match. And he said, I couldn't have lost to a better player and a better competitor and a better guy. And then, and then when, when Bennett was interviewed, talked about how great Carr was. And you thought, you know, th- these are really young guys. And it wasn't me, me, me. It was, uh, they had a great perspective on it. And I thought, man, what, you know, you're telling me whether they accept money or not, that affects the way they act. It doesn't. They, they were, they couldn't have been better competitors. I thought it was fantastic for, not just for golf, but for, for competition. It was fantastic. It was. It, it, it was a fantastic day. Um, I've, I've got to throw this out there because it's on my, on my notes here, uh, Jay, but being a Virginia Tech Hokie that I am, and I appreciated everything that Seth Greenberg did when he was there, but uh, do you guys ever bust his chops a little bit for missing out on Steph Curry? Constantly. We, we bust his chops about everything, and he busts them right back. That, that, that to me, is the sign of friends, Like if, if, uh, especially with my friends. You can tell if we don't like somebody, we're not, we're not giving him the needle all the time. And, uh, and Seth and I needle the hell out of each other. And, uh, and he's a great sport about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did recruit Steph Curry. And one of the, one of the hilarious things about that is, you know, Steph grew up in Charlotte where I live and I know his dad pretty well. His dad went to Virginia tech. We were the same year in school. We actually play a a fair amount of golf together when, you know, when we can. And his dad, Dell is a fantastic golfer, but uh, Steph's even better. But when Steph was coming out of high school, I mean, he was so small, his, uh, his, his uniform could barely stay on his shoulders and he could really shoot it. He was a big time scorer at, at Charlotte Christian. But I didn't think that that he was going to be an NBA superstar. Yeah. And I don't know. Who, I don't know who did outside of his Davidson coach, Bob McKillop. But uh, when he went to Davidson, I don't remember jumping up and down saying what a travesty that he's not at North Carolina or Virginia Tech or Duke. Um, nobody, nobody really said that, including Dell. I remember Dell saying, uh, Dell told me a story one time. He probably said it publicly a million times that Bob McKillop had told him the head coach of Davidson when, when Steph went there, he said, he said, you know, he's going to, he's going to make a lot of money in the NBA and, and Dell's response was, well, maybe overseas. Um, I'm not even sure he saw it at the time. Uh, so, you know, whatever happened, um, you know, to me, Seth Greenberg and everybody else is off the hook because nobody yeah. saw this coming. Uh, and, and maybe Steph did, but but I don't know that anybody else did. No, I, I, I think I, I think it's just a funny dig, probably to to for you know to get at Seth uh, for for missing out on that. But er, er, you know, everybody else missed it, just like you said. And and I remember sitting in Raleigh uh, when when Steph kind of came onto the stage, I think he put up like 50 against Georgetown there in Raleigh in the NCAAs. And, and, and then they went on that, I think, was it a, was it a, 
a Final Four run, or was it a Elite Eight? Elite Eight. Elite yeah, Elite they, eight. they yeah. lost by a bucket to Kansas, who won it that year. And then, oddly enough, the following year, um, which was Steph's last, it was his junior year, they didn't make the tournament. And, uh, uh, you know, Davidson didn't make the tournament, so he didn't play his final year in the tournament. But, you know, I, I there, there are very few players. Like, once he had reached that point, well, I think it was his sophomore year, you're going, okay, he's an NBA – he's a longtime NBA player. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, you could argue he got taken seventh overall in the 09 draft that he should have gone in the top three. So, so, so one more basketball question for me, Jay, before we kind of start getting to the end of this. But, uh, you know, early, early top 10 this year for college basketball is, is, you know, obviously we probably have some of the, the usual suspects in there, but who's, who are we sleeping on in the maybe top 10, top 20? There'll be a lot of usual suspects up there. Uh, one of the teams, though, that is, hasn't traditionally been there in the last uh, you know, 10 years, even though they've been really good the last two or three, is Arkansas. Arkansas is going to be the real deal. And uh, they, they'll, they'll have a, a Final Four chance, even though they lost some players from, from last year's team that went to the Elite Eight before they lost to Duke. Um, but you know, Kansas will be up there again, won the national championship maybe a bit unexpectedly last year. Uh, wasn't probably wasn't one of Bill Self's top 10 teams, frankly, and uh, just put things together and had a, had a great year uh, this last year. Um, and, uh, you know, Duke will be good. North Carolina, UCLA, Gonzaga, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be right there again. Uh, but I would say that the team that uh, that people would say, wait a minute, you know, number one or top three to start Arkansas would be that team to me. Okay. Um, and you kind of want to kind of touch on it a little bit, uh, kind of get get a little feel for it. We've got, uh, I guess, one of your 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 coworkers, or at least one one point, uh, Joe Lenardi, um, recently joined our, our band of misfits. I think we're supposed to to talk to him in a few weeks. Um, but I'm sure here is college football is getting ready to start up. But I'm sure your off season is probably coming to an end, or if there even is a, a, a true off season for you all, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure it's busy all year long, but I mean, kind of what, what's your, your timeline in terms of getting really back into it, um, ramping up for the, for the college basketball season, start back up. It usually starts in September. Um, it's a little more work to ramp up now than it was 15 years ago, simply because of, of the transfer portal and all the players that, that leave early, that, that wasn't the case 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so you have to familiarize yourself with, uh, with new faces and new places. Um, and, you know, it used to be that on, on October 15th, I was Final Four ready. Uh, I knew everything about every team, or at least felt I did. Uh, I don't feel that way anymore. Uh, you know, it, there, there's a lot more of a learning curve each particular year. Uh, and, and that's exciting. There's a lot that's really good about that. Um, in years past, you know, before the portal, before uh, early entry became a thing, at the end, of, you know, when the buzzer went off at the Final Four, you, you could detail, hey, here's who's going to be in the top 10 to start next year. And that's an impossible task now. Uh, you can't do it. You, you can try, and we do, because people seem interested in it. But it's never accurate uh, because there's so much movement of players. Uh, my year, it used to be I had a long off season, and uh, And as the game has gotten bigger and more, there's been more money in it, um, uh, it's become more of a year-round job, but really my off-season starts after the last pick of the NBA draft. As soon as we go off the air, I can kind of unplug for a little while. 
I'm not out on the road during recru the recruiting period as much as I used to be. That's a, that's just a function of my age that, uh, uh, you know, my wife doesn't like me being gone as much during the summer. Um, she likes me to kind of pay back the time I've gone during the season, uh, during July when we kind of the, it sounds like, uh, I don't saw the news. It sounds like a Tom Brady situation. They, they, they kind of came out this morning and said that the reason he's missed training camp the last 11 days was he was on vacation with Gis Giselle down in the Bahamas. So it's just, I think, I think you've paid, you, you've both paid your dues and deserve that, that time, uh, time with the family during the summer. Yeah, I think his vacations are a little nicer than mine, but we, we, we try to, yeah, we try to do that and try to get as much family time as we can during July and August. And then uh, it'll ramp back up in, in September, October. But I still, uh, you know, really, the truth is, uh, as soon as the buzzer goes off uh, at the at the NBA draft and we go off the air, that's when golf season begins and is exclusive until, uh, until November. Like, I'll, I'll play a lot uh between you know it's it's august right now i'm gonna play a lot between now and november 1st and uh november i kind of put the clubs back up even though i go out i'll try now last three four years i i've i've made it a uh, uh i've made it a priority to at least hit balls once a week um during the winter time which i never did before and uh, we have a great practice facility at Charlotte Country Club where I play and I get in there with my uh, assistant pro, Jack Fields, and he tunes me up and tries to keep me from being a complete bag of crap when I <laughs> start again, uh, when, it, when the weather gets nice. Are, are you going to Maui this year for the, uh, for the Maui Invitational? I hope so. Um, I, that's been uh, traditionally where I've been. Uh, this year, there's a tournament that starts right after Maui in Portland, Oregon, called the PK-85. It's a Nike event that has 16 teams, and uh, I think I'm going to be doing that. Last time they had it was PK-80 for Phil Knight's 80th birthday. He's 85 now, and we went Maui to that and uh, flew, you know, flew overnight and then did games the next day on, on the Thursday of, on Thanksgiving Day. So if they do that again, I'd be all, all for it. Um, I haven't played as much golf in Maui the last several times I've been there. I used to play golf in the mornings at, uh, at the plantation course at Kapalua, but uh, uh, that became a little problematic with my uh, – uh, it, it was killing me. Just I was so tired at the end of it. I'd play golf and then do games and then go out and all that stuff. It became sure. a vicious, vicious cycle, but it was fun while I was doing it. And I don't know about you, but I, for for some reason, my wife doesn't have as much sympathy when I come home and I say I'm tired from playing golf all day. I don't I don't know why people don't have sympathy for us us golfers and and, and slumming through there. But uh, it, or playing playing golf in Oregon's one of my favorite golf states in the in the country. You could definitely uh find some some find somewhere in the the Portland area and, and get a couple of morning rounds in if if possible. Well, Bandon, I'd shoot out to Bandon Dunes if they let me. Uh, I think the last time I was there, I played in the summer solstice. Oh, wow. And where you, where you played, now they have the sheep ranch, so it's more of you played all 72 holes in one day. Yep. And uh, and I did that, and it was I didn't think I was going to make it when we started, but I, I felt great at the end. I didn't feel great like five days after, but uh, but it was a blast. No, that's a, yeah, I have, I, I've been twice with our, our Friars group, group now, and the, the first time I went, I was like, I, I don't know when I'm going to get back or anything like that. So I, I, I did that. I played 36 and beyond every single day, and then whenever I got back, uh, I had a pinched nerve in my foot and couldn't feel a couple of my toes for a few days. But man, if I didn't sign up ex last year to go back and do it all over again, um, it's definitely one of those those special like golf places that you you just have to kind of experience to to believe it. But that's awesome. Well, I think we're getting close to the end, Matt. Um, 
I'm going to kind of wrap up, Jay, with maybe two questions. There's a whole list of questions that we, we you know, I think we could talk to you for probably a couple hours if we, if we had the time. But uh, w- one of the most important questions is, what's your go-to cocktail? You come off the course, you go to the 19th hole, what, what are you ordering? Well, if it's if I've played a you know sort of a hot round of golf, I like a I like a beer at the end of the round. Um, but if it's uh, if it's sort of you know really post round during the summertime, I drink uh, Mount Gay rum. So I like Mount Gay and tonic with a lime. And uh, but if if it's just a cocktail, uh, I'm a huge margarita guy. Like I love uh, uh, margaritas, and uh, and I drink them like water, which is is probably a stupid thing to do, but I, I love those things. Yeah. I've gotten hooked on ranch water this summer. It's uh, it's one of my go-to drinks now. Um, and then lastly, if you had, you know, if you unfortunately found out today is the last day on earth for you and you had one chance to play golf anywhere in the world, where are you playing that last round of golf? Pine Valley, without without argument. It's my favorite place on the planet. Um, it is, uh, I just can't imagine. The first time I played Pine Valley Golf Club, I remembered every hole by number and, uh, and, you know, like a lot of, a lot of golfers, you know, you feel like you can remember every shot, but, but it's hard sometimes at some places to remember every hole and every hole is separate, distinct and, uh, and, and just fabulous in and of itself. And, uh, there's never a time when I'm playing golf where, you know, since I, the first time I played there, you know, it's so difficult and every shot, you know, can lead you to a great result or a complete disaster. And uh, uh, so everywhere, everywhere I played after that, when I hit a shot, I would think, would that shot have worked at Pine Valley? And uh, uh, it's just a, I don't know, there's nowhere like it. And uh, people have different, different tastes. And, you know, I can understand somebody saying, well, this is my favorite. That's my favorite. Uh, Pine Valley is my favorite. And it's not even up for discussion. And that's, I, I don't know if you saw the the quote yesterday. Um, it, it's one of those places that reminds me of, of when Max Homo was in the uh, the Open a few weeks ago that he was going after his, his rounds, going to play in some of the other more historic courses around the um, St. Andrews area. But Scotty Scheffler was talking about earlier last week, I guess on the, on the way to Wilmington for the BMW Championship that they stopped in to play Pine Valley. He said, they they got to the parking lot, had a, a sandwich for about five minutes, and went out to the course. And he shot a three under. It's like, uh, that's 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 not a bad day to, but uh, it, it's got to be kind of routine at that point for for those guys. But it's always fun to see uh, the PGA guys kind of go out of the way to play more golf. I mean, it's 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 definitely a job, and I'm sure that there's many of them where it isn't for the joy of the game as as often as you'd think. But uh, it's it's always reassuring we see a, a young guy like Scotty Scheffler that can can stop and appreciate. Uh, a little golf course like Pine Valley, like the rest of us. It's a bucket. I mean, it is beyond a bucket list. It's just a dream come true. And it doesn't matter how you play. Um, you know, when you, when you walk on that ground uh, and, and, you know, walk on that grass, hopefully you're walking on grass and not in sand because there's a lot of, a lot of places to hit it where there's no grass, but uh, it's just, it's magnet. Every, every inch of it is magnificent. And you can't believe that, that it was, it was designed and built uh, like a hundred and, you know, 108 years ago or whatever it is that somebody had the foresight to put that together. And not only is it still relevant, um, it's still number one in the world. It's, it's, uh, it's a stunning, stunning achievement. Well, thanks Jay for your time. We're going to, we're going to come to a close, but you know, on behalf of, of the Friars golf club, 
we would love to welcome you at any time to come to one of our events and hang out or, you know, join the club. Uh, talk, talk to Lunardi. He, he joined. I think he's coming on a trip uh, in a couple months. Um, I'm sure he'll have a blast. And, uh, you know, but, you know, on behalf of Matt and myself, we really appreciate your time and look forward to maybe connecting with you again in the future sometime. Well, I hope so. And, uh, and count me in, you know, whatever I get invited to, the answer is always yes. L looking forward to it. Perfect. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this is another edition of the Friars Golf Podcast. Mm -hmm.